family, the people who bring the greatest joy to your life, and the greatest aggravation. Welcome to In Support of Families. Here are your hosts, David and Emily Penrod. Our guest today is Elisa Marsh, who also is our daughter. Elisa, welcome. Thank you. And I appreciate your time. She's a busy young mother who also works from home. And that's a topic we can get into at another time, how mothers can find employment working at home and still be able to spend time with their children. But today, I wanted her to talk to us about babies and sleeping because she's done some homework and effort and has found success. So, Elisa, tell us how it went with your first child. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say babies and sleeping because typically those two words don't go together. No, and they that's, don't. <laughs> that's what we found with, with our oldest. So when my oldest was born, I was 22 years old. I'd had nieces and nephews. I think I really thought I knew a lot about raising children and I found out quickly how much I didn't know. Our oldest, I, we had her sleep in our bedroom with us and I had discovered that sometimes I could hear her start to stir or start to fuss and if I quickly picked her up and nursed her, she would go right back to sleep. And so this was the first big mistake that I made is anytime she would make the slightest noise or movement, I'd quickly pick her up and nurse her and try and catch her before she woke up too much. And I turned her into the lightest sleeper. And I think looking back now, hindsight, everyone makes some movements and some noises you while they're turn sleeping. Over. Yeah, even infants. And so I think many of the times I got her up, she probably just would have moved around a little bit and and been just fine. So I think uh, one of the mistakes that I made was having her too close, having her right next to me so I could hear every little grunt. You were so worried about, this is typical of uh, young parents, isn't it? They want so badly to do it just right, be the perfect parent, that they become overly vigilant. Yes, yes. And that's what I did with her, and it, I think, actually taught her that she needed me to fall back to sleep. <laughs> so you feel like you trained her to be a light sleeper. I did. I did. <laughs> is, she, is she still a light sleeper? She is. She's still alive. <laughs> she, she is. Uh, several years later, I can barely just poke my head in her bedroom to check on her, and she'll sit right up. All it's right. interesting how very early habits can stick with you for many, many years. Definitely. And if she wants to overcome that, she may have to uh, take some positive steps to retrain her brain. Okay. And what about your second child? So with our, with our second child, I thought I'd learn from my mistakes. And I thought we're, we're going to, I read about um, the Ferber method and other cry it out methods for teaching your child to self-soothe and be able to sleep at night. And so that was... That was what we were going to do. We we had made the mistakes with the first one. We were going to correct it with the second one. And the next, I, this one was going to be perfect, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, I knew everything now. 
And so that, that was the plan was to get him to self-soothe. And so about when he was about three months old, I implemented our self-soothe plan where now you're going to cry it out. And it created um, just a few horrible nights. I wasn't consistent with it. He would just scream in agony. And, and then I would second guess myself. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? And so sometimes I would go pick him up and sometimes I would try and let him cry. So I wasn't consistent with it at all. Well, hearing that cry is agonizing for a parent. That just goes right to your heart. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so kind of failed miserably, and, and it just didn't feel right. So we backed off and tried again a couple months later, and it, and it still didn't feel right. And so backed off and, and gave up, gave up on sleep. I actually, at the time, joked with my husband that I thought, my three-year-old and my infant would have secret meetings to talk about how to make sure I was busy around the clock. You know, they would take shifts <laughs> of whose job it was to make sure I was awake. Um, I really thought there was a conspiracy <laughs> with my children. But You made an interesting comment I really liked. You said it didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's key to parenting is... Following that intuition, just going with that feeling. Uh, you might hear an absolutely amazing new discipline technique that sounds great, but when you try it and it doesn't feel right, it may very well not be right for your child. Right. All right, and then you moved on to the third child. Yeah, so with, with our youngest, um, we tried tried to learn from both experiences and and one thing that I read that I realized I had not done, had not tried yet was a more of a routine more of a schedule and I had never wanted to be be stuck to a schedule yeah you know I needed flexibility during the day I I didn't want to have such a rigid schedule but I actually found a little bit of freedom in trying to create more of a schedule so you with found, my youngest. You found it that the schedule can be liberating. Yes. Yes. So 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 not not strictly adhered to. We didn't exactly two o'clock on the dot put down for a nap, but we tried to stick, you know, relatively close to the same time frames. And it seemed to benefit all of us. All of my children seemed to benefit more from having more of a schedule. A flexible schedule, but nonetheless structure. Yeah, more structure. I have found that to be very true. When I worked at the residential facility for youth at risk, that came up that a lot of them had not had that structure when they were younger there. And some of them never had it till they got there. And structure makes a difference. So outline that structure for us. Shortly after we had brought her home from the hospitals, we started a, a nighttime routine. So I, I believe it was maybe around 8 o'clock at night. We would give her a bath, and then it was kisses and snuggles time, so she would get loved on by the whole family. And then it was the, our private... The, the whole family being yourself, your husband, and the two older siblings. Mm -hmm. 
So she would get her goodnights from everyone. Everyone would get their chances for kisses and cuddles, and then it would, and then I would nurse her and rock her um, for about an hour, and then put her down for the night. And then when she woke during the night, um, I would nurse her, rock her, change her diaper if it was needed, and and rock her back to sleep again. And we we were consistent with this. We made sure every night it was the same routine. And then... And just real quick, where was her crib? Um, her crib was, was in another bedroom. Not the same okay. bedroom as us. Not the same bedroom, but a, a bedroom uh -huh. nearby so you could hear. She was in the next room, and we did have a baby monitor. Okay. And we tried to keep it very low. So we would hear her if she was in trouble or distress, but so, I wouldn't hear every little noise. So no more jumping up at the slightest no. squeak. <laughs> no, definitely not. Okay. All right. So. And I found I was sleeping better. Yes. Too. But after, after a few months old, she was about five months old when it seemed like she, she wasn't needing to eat during the night. So when she did wake during the night, it was more for comfort and to be helped to go back to sleep. It wasn't necessarily that she needed nourishment. Uh -huh. So when we felt that she could go through the night without eating, that was when we decided to try and let her self-soothe. And so I picked a night to start and decided to be consistent with it, asked my husband for support. Yes. And the first night when she woke during the night... Um, I checked on her and made sure her diaper wasn't messy or anything like that and just kind of stroked her back, talked to her for a minute, and then I left the room and let her and let her cry. And it, the, the first night was rough. Uh -huh. It was hard to just listen to her cry. Um, she maybe cried for 20 or 30 minutes before she fell back asleep. Uh, I think she woke maybe one more time that night, didn't cry as long. I went back to sleep. So had you set a time limit before, you know, when you decided, okay, this is the night, did you say, I'm going to let her cry for this long, or were you just kind of monitoring the cry? I don't remember. I had set a time limit. I don't remember exactly what it was. I uh -huh. think the 30 minutes was probably close to my okay. limit. Okay. I was so, very grateful when she stopped crying. Yes. Um, you, were, <clears throat> you were ready. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it may, it may have been 30 minutes it, because I believe she cried just about as long as I was going to let her. The next night, I think she woke once or twice again. Um, and then it seemed like on the third night, maybe she fussed and stirred a little bit. But it was it was a big difference by, by night three. Uh -huh. And then shortly after, she was just sleeping through the night. So this really worked for her. Now, you know, every child is different, may not yeah. have worked for your oldest child, but it definitely worked for your youngest. Yeah. And it was almost like someone up there knew you would need this, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The timing, the, the timing was definitely a blessing. About two and a half weeks after my youngest started sleeping through the night, our middle child was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and um, actually was in, was in very grave danger. And we ended up um, 
a, a week in a children's hospital trying to um, save his life and then learn how to manage his health and, and keep him alive moving forward. Very hard week, and, and he, he wouldn't let me leave his side for a minute. So I needed to be in the hospital with him around the clock. So for um, my husband to be able to take our daughter, baby daughter home in the evenings and have her sleep through the night, and I didn't need to be there was was a huge blessing because I yes. could focus 100% on the child who needed me. So oh. definitely a blessing, definitely a gift from God. Oh, yes, for sure, for sure. So you could take, you, you and your husband would be at the hospital, feed your baby, nurse her one last time, and then your husband could take him home, and they both <clears throat> slept. Yes, yeah, so and and a blessing for both of them. He was very stressed out and and worried about our son. He needed the break from the hospital. He needed to go home and be able to yeah to to take that break to regroup. Yeah. So it sounds like some key elements here where you had a very supportive spouse. Yes. And and parents, if that's if you have a supportive spouse, be very grateful for that. That makes a difference, doesn't it? It does. And you had done some research and reading, and you had your experience from your two older children, and then you and your husband agreed on this plan, implemented it, and it worked. Now, is your youngest still a good sleeper? Yes, very good sleeper. Very good sleeper. She, she can fall asleep really quickly. And, yeah, she sleeps solidly through the night. All right. Almost as hard to wake up in the morning. She sleeps so well. All right. <laughs> well, and some of it, I think they did get from their mother. We have an, our favorite story about Elisa when she was growing up. Is the time as a very little toddler, she wandered into our bedroom. We had a waterbed that had a gap between the base and the wall underneath the headboard. And we woke up one night to hear her crying. And we couldn't find her. She wasn't in her crib. We couldn't find her in our room. We couldn't find her anywhere in the house. We could detect the sound was coming from our room. And we spent some panicked, terrified minutes trying to find our little girl until I finally tuned up my radar and located this cry was coming from under the head of our bed. So I got a flashlight or, or something so I could see, and sure enough, there she was, halfway through this queen-size bed. I could barely reach in and grab her feet and gently pull her out, and went to comfort her when we got her out, and she just w had been terrified from that experience and wanted to nothing more than to just go back to her room where, where she knew it was safe, <laughs> and she went back to sleep. <laughs> she literally turned on her heel and ran out of that room <laughs> in her bed, and I think she went right back to sleep. Do you remember that? 
No, but it explains the claustrophobia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be how you came by it. <laughs> On the other hand, you did find some other rather unique places to go to sleep. We found you in toy boxes, hampers of laundry, uh, all kinds of places where you had been playing and just decided to go to sleep. You, you even <laughs> fell asleep standing Leaning, you were looking out the window, and you're just leaning against the windowsill. And I thought she's standing so quietly. And I looked, and you had fallen asleep. <laughs> now, there's a saying that a concerned mother does more research than the FBI, and I think that's true of you. I've I have observed that of you. And you, when you had a child diagnosed with type one diabetes, you did a lot of research. So. That will be topic for another podcast, and it would be very worthwhile to learn more about raising a child who was diagnosed at a young age. He was. He was not quite four years old. And how? how and I greatly admire the way you ha handled it at the beginning and are handling it now. So we'll talk about that. Listen in for that, and let's wish everyone a great day. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. Leave your comments, questions, and requests for future topics on our website, insupportoffamilies.com.